if you guys have been tracking, right, you know that we're in the story. Um, if, you're, if you're new to us today, I'm going to give a, a quick 30-second recap, all right, and then bring you up to, up to par with where we're at. So, so coming from um, Egypt, the Israelites walk out the door with Moses, all right? Crazy story. They, then they wander around the desert for 40 years, and then Joshua, not Moses, would, would bring them into the promised land. In that story, like if you read the book of Joshua, you see an entire nation not only circumcise themselves physically, but circumcise their hearts spiritually and turn towards the Lord. Like, and so in Joshua, you watch them just romp neighborhoods. Like, in fact, they go like 35 and 1 militarily. Like, they defeat 35 kings and they lose one time, all right, in the course of seven years. And that's what happens when an entire nation turns towards the Lord, all right? And so now Israel has become a nation. Um, there's prophets kind of taking care of business. Actually, we call them judges at this point. And th- they get sick of it. And they say, hey, hey, tell the Lord we want a king. And, and the prophet of the day says, man, you, you don't want this. And they say, tell the Lord we want a king. And the Lord says, listen, you don't want this. And they're like, tell him we want it anyway. And the Lord relents and says, fine, you can have a king. And at first, it kind of seems to start off fairly well. Right, not awesome, but then this guy named David comes along and he really takes Israel into this whole new realm. Like they become the, they become a military beast, they become a um, a kingdom beast. They be, they somewhat not really, but somewhat become like a massive power in in their realm. All right, David gives rise to this boy named Solomon. All right, Solomon takes it to another level, builds this massive temple. Right, people are traveling from all over the world to come to Israel to hear about his wisdom, and he writes this stuff down in Ecclesiastes. And then he writes, he's like, "What good is all of this kingdom? What good is all this money? What good is all of this information? What good is all this stuff if I'm fixing to give it to a couple morons?" Right? Now that's a paraphrase from Ecclesiastes, but he's talking about his two kids. Okay, and exactly what happens happens. Solomon leaves. Right? He doesn't go out on a good note. His two boys take over, and within, oh man, a couple years, they split the kingdom in half. Right? So now this powerhouse has now been cut in half. They call it the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. All right? Just like any other home. Jesus said this. He said, any home divided by itself will not stand. All right? So in your marriage, if you're divided against yourself, be careful. Jesus says it will not stand. This church, if it gets divided by itself, will not stand. Stand like the same thing happens. Like it's just, it's just a matter of time before things begin to fall apart. The northern kingdom has bad king after bad king after bad king. About 726 B.C., the Assyrians roll in there. They defeat them. The way the Assyrians roll is that as soon as they take over the land, they uproot the people living there. They put their people in the spot, and now the land is over with. Like you don't even see a remnant of Israel. Make sense? Like that's how they rolled. The southern kingdom was a little bit better, all right? Bad king, bad king, good king. Bad king, bad king, good king, right? And so the Lord would honor the good kings. They would survive about another 130 years. The next world empire would be known as the Babylonians. Babylonians would roll in there. They would defeat the southern kingdom. Now, here's how the Babylonians roll. They're like, we leave this place destitute. Nobody lives in this land anymore. We, we, just, we come in, we conquer, we destroy. We disperse everybody that needs to be dispersed. We leave the sick and the dead. We're out the door. This land is trash. And that's how they roll. All right. This is where last week when Matt starts talking, Matt Lee was starting talking about Daniel, Daniel had been captured by the Babylonians. All that story plays out during Daniel's life. All right. Now, if you remember the story of Daniel, Daniel started reading Jeremiah, started reading Isaiah. His eyes got opened and he said, 
dude, things are fixing to change here. And he started yelling them out. All right? Now, I want to pause in that story. I want you to put it in your back pocket while we move into the next story. All right? And so we're going to roll into Ezra. You ready? First part of Ezra says this. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of all the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem and Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Now, let's think clearly here. First world empire, Syrians come through. I told you they would uproot people and put their own people in the land. Second world empire, Babylonians come through. They uproot all the people and destroy the land. Why? So that those kingdoms cannot make new kingdoms. This makes sense? So why do you see this guy sending all their people back to where they're from? Like, this is stupidity. Like, if you're going to conquer the land, and then you're going to send all the exiles back, what are they going to do? They're going to start building their nation back. That's what people do, which then becomes a problem for you down the line. So why does he do this? Right? Like, if you're an atheist, or if you don't, believe in this stuff, you're like, this is bogus. Like, this is a bogus, like, in the first year, King Cyrus, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation, blah, blah, blah. Like, how do we know any of this is true? How do we know it's accurate? Like, we can say, hey, the Bible's accurate. Yeah, we know that, but how do we know that this is true? So let's just go into it. Is that cool? So um, let's take the first line. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation. Okay? So how do we know Cyrus is even around? Like, how do we know this is an accurate picture? All right? So step one, let's just, let's just do this. All right? So, so historically, all right, this dude has a, has a, has a tomb. All right, we have a picture for you on the screen, on the inscription of this place. It says, hey, I conquered the world. Please let me in death have this little piece of land. All right? And so in Iran, where this guy is from, they love him. If you get on their chamber of commerce, they got a whole story dedicated to how awesome this guy was. All right? Dig a little bit deeper, and historically, from artifacts, they will give you what's called the Cylinder of Cyrus. Okay, we're going to have a picture for that on the screen for you as well. The Cylinder of Cyrus is stored at the British Museum, and it is like a, it is like a, a scroll of what he's done. All right? And so, like, if you're from Iran, like, if you know anything about your history, like, if you're from the United States, you'd be like, yeah, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, they're the father of our land. They're going to tell you this guy is. All right? They're going to protect his tomb. They're going to tell you all the great stories of what he did. How do they know? How do they know this? Well, they found some good artifacts. That's pretty cool. 
but they do the same thing that every nation has done. Like, they didn't have mirrors, they didn't have cameras, they didn't have lights, but what they did have was language. And so every great nation recorded their history. It's how we know anything, right? And so let me take you into the history as recorded by their historians about this King Cyrus, okay? So the, the guy's name, the historian's name is Herodotus. This is how we know the stuff of, of recorded for King Cyrus, all right? I'm going to walk you through this. It's a crazy story. The first guy you need to know, this guy's name is Astagius, all right? We're going to have his name up on the screen because I don't know if I pronounced it correctly, but here's the deal. This is Cyrus's grandpa, all right? According to the Greek historians, this dude has a dream one night. As he's king, he sees his daughter giving birth, but not to a child. She's given birth to a flood, and this flood covers the entire province of what we know as Asia, all right? And so he wakes up, he goes into his diviners, he goes, hey, I just had this crazy dream, here it is, what are you thinking? And they're like, man, that's, one, that's an easy one, like her son's going to rule. And he's like, oh, heck no, he's not going to rule. And so he does what any great king does. He calls his right-hand man, his name is Harpagus, and he says, here's what I want you to do, Harpagus. He's like, we can't let this thing play out, right? He's like, I want you to take your trusted men, I want you to tell my daughter that you're going to protect her, you're going to take her to a spot, right, where nobody can know where she's at so she can have give birth to this, this boy in peace, protected, right, so she can enjoy this time. And when she falls asleep from the pain of labor after giving birth, take the boy, tell her someone stole him, and kill him and bury him in a place that no one knows but you. Okay? So, plot thickens. This thing plays out. Harpagus takes the boy. Walks out the door. As he's going to kill him, this story records that he sees the boy's face. And he quotes him saying, I will not take part in this murder. So you know what he does? He does the same thing that his king did to him. He calls his right-hand man. And he says, hey, here's the deal. King said, kill this boy. Take him and kill him. So now this guy has been stuck with it. All right, They don't record his name. But as he's traveling down the road, he sees the boy. And it says that his heart was moved in a way that he could not partake in this as well. So guess what he does? He finds the first shepherd he comes across. Calls him out of the field. And this is what was recorded about him. He hands the boy to the shepherd and he says, listen, the king says, kill this boy. And if you choose not to, we will torture you so badly that you will want to die and then we'll kill you. Right? The shepherd takes the boy and it's like, man, this is the worst day of my life. <laughs> right? And so he takes the boy home. And his wife sees the boy. That's what's recorded. His wife sees the boy. And so now his wife is moved. And it says she gets on her knees, weeping uncontrollably, begging the shepherd not to kill the boy. Shepherd relents. They take the boy in and they raise him in secret. Okay? Until he's 10. Then rumors of him begin to fly around. All right? They're like, this boy not only escaped death once, not twice, not three times, but he escaped death four times. He's the grandson of the great king, and all of these rumors start flying around of how great he is. His legacy just begins to roll because they're like, the gods have covered this kid, right? And as he grows, like people begin to see him as something great, right? Like the hand of their gods is on this boy, and he does something that nobody's been able to do. In his hometown, in his province, he's got two people groups. 
the Medes and the Persians, and because of his legacy, he combines both of them into the Medo-Persian Empire. And in this story, they become the next great superpower of the world. All right? So you're like, Chris, what does this have to do with anything? All right? Well, stay with me. So there's, there's only one other great power of the world. It's called Babylon right now, the Babylonians. And so they march up to the Babylonians to try to fight them, and they're met with the Euphrates River. So they park the Euphrates, trying to figure out what to do. Historically, Cyrus's horse gets loose, runs into the river. The river's so strong, sucks him down, kills the horse. He drowns. Cyrus gets ticked off. He leaves half of, the, half of the military there. He takes the other half, and he travels down the Euphrates River, and they make shovels and start digging canals, right? So all the people around are going, well, that's a sweet idea because that's going to bring water into my, into my field. So the people, the, the townspeople start joining with them. And what's recorded is it says that the military wasted over three months the entire summer digging these canals, okay? So they dig these canals. Euphrates River begins to drop. And what Herodotus says, it's like it dropped to such a point that it was only through mid-thigh that men could wade. And so they were able to cross over. Now, the timing of this is perfect because Babylon is in a month-long festival to their God. Like, you remember the story? Like, they're having a big party. The king's there. They're riding on the wall comes. The Lord rides on the wall and says, your time is done. And so what happens is the other half of the the military that's, that's camped out across the Euphrates River, they cross during the month of the party. Now, Babylon is surrounded by all these bronze gates, and it says historically that they were able just to push them down, and that they walked into Babylon and didn't even have to draw their sword, and they took over the kingdom without any destroying of, 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 the, of their stuff, without any destroying of their city, without any destroying of anything, without hardly any bloodshed. Like I said, that all of their swords stayed sheathed. Okay? Now, why is this important for you to know this? Why, why does this make any, any importance to you? So, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, let's think clearly here. All right? We know Daniel. He was captured by the Babylonians in his teenage years. Easily, he's still alive here. Like, he's been screaming, something's bad, it's fixing to happen to Babylon, the Lord's fixing to free the people. Like, he's been telling people this for a long time, and now he's watching it. Like, as Babylon moves out, the Persians move in, like, technically, he's still there. Now, historically, Josephus writes that King Cyrus was made aware of the scriptures. All right? So, the king of the Medo-Persian Empire somehow has been made known of the scriptures. So, in my mind, it's like, Daniel, because he's one of the smart guys of Babylon, he's like, man, I need to request some time with the king. And, and maybe the king of Persia says, okay, make, make this quick, right? So he comes in and he says, King Cyrus, like, you need to be made aware of these scriptures. And so King Cyrus says, okay, well, tell me what it is that you need to say. All right? And he says, well, first I'm going to pull out this scroll from, this, from our prophet named Jeremiah. Now, this thing is 160 years before you were born, Cyrus. Now, to give you some context for that, I tried to look up what Shawnee looked like 160 years ago, and it doesn't exist. All right? It's just a map. So I can't even, I can't even take you there. Like the light bulb was invented in like 19, 
1905 and patented in 1910, but Shawnee, the province of Shawnee, didn't even become a place until like 1858, and Kansas wasn't even a state then, right? So I can't even bring you back 160 years. You, you would have no context for it. Like what you see now doesn't exist on any level in this town, right? But this is what, this is what might have happened when he was made aware of the scriptures. He says like, before you were born, 160 years before you were ever born, Cyrus, here's what our prophet said. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and I will make it desolate forever. Jeremiah 29.10, this is what the Lord says. When the 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promises to bring you back to this place. He's writing those verses to Israel, and so Cyrus is like, well, that's pretty cool. He's like, I can measure from here to here, and I can see that Babylon, the Babylon Empire lasted about 70 years here. Like, I can see that. But what does it mean for me to bring you back to your place? Like, why does it have anything to do with me? So you can kind of see Daniel sitting there going, well, if it, if it pleases the king to make you aware, he's like, I, I got to read to you something that was written even before 160 years ago. Like, this is another one of our prophets. His name is Isaiah, and he wrote this over 200 years before you were born. And so you hear Cyrus say, okay, well, read it to me. Now, let me tell you, what you're fixing to hear, you cannot unhear. Isaiah 44, starting in verse 24, 200 years before Cyrus was ever born. He says, this is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself, who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of diviners, who overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it into nonsense, who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited of the towns of Judah, they shall be rebuilt. And of their ruins, I will restore them. Who says to the watery deep, the Euphrates, be dry and I will dry up your streams. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and I will accomplish all that I please through him. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt and the temples, let, them, let their foundations be laid. This is what the Lord says to his anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of, to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down the gates of bronze and cut through their bars of iron. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel who summons you by name, Cyrus. For the sake of Jacob, my servant of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name, Cyrus, and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. For I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people will know that there is no one besides me. For I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and I create darkness. I bring prosperity and I create disaster. It is I, the Lord, who do these things. And this is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and its maker, concerning things to come. Do you question me about my children or give me orders about the work of my hands? 
It is I who made the earth and created mankind on it. My own hand stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry host. I will raise you up, Cyrus, in my righteousness. I will make all your ways straight. You will rebuild my city and set my exiles free, but not for a price or for a reward, says the Lord, for I am the Lord. For this is what the Lord says. It is he who created the heavens. He is God. I fashioned the earth, I made the earth, I founded it. I did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Cyrus, I have not spoken these things in secret from somewhere in the land of darkness, but so that you would know that I am God. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. I gather together, and I come to the assemble. So bring your fugitives from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry about idols of woods, who pray to gods that cannot save them. Declare what is to be. Present it. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the past? Was it not I, the Lord? And apart from me, there is no other. A righteous God and a Savior. There is none but me. So turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered it in all integrity, a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, they will say of me, I am the Lord, and every tongue will swear that I am alone God, and I am their deliverance and their strength, and all who rage against me will come be put to shame. But all the descendants of Israel will find deliverance in the Lord and will make their boast in him. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so if you're King Cyrus and you're sitting here 200 years before you were ever born and you hear that, what do you do? Like, what do you do? I'll tell you what he did. On that picture of the cylinder, if y'all will throw that back up, here's the deal. They interpret it, right? You can go to the British Museum, you can go online and, and watch the whole thing. But here's what it says. I've got two little inscripts from it here. It says, the number of men in his army were so great, resembling that of a water in a river, which could not be counted. Marched forward, their weapons stashed away without engaging the enemy. He was able to enter Babylon without causing any damage to the city. Into my hands, Nabonidus was delivered, the king who did not worship him. To the sacred cities located on the other side of the Tigris River, I sent back to the ruins of their holy places the articles which were used in their sanctuaries. I also allowed... To return to their homes, the former citizens of the land, I also made an effort to repair their dwelling places. Why? Because he is the Lord and there is no other. Yeah? He is the Lord and there is no other. So, so I get this question all the time, like, like what you're watching here is what we know is like the second exodus. The first one is when they walked out of Egypt. This one, he's calling them all out from where they have been dispersed, moving them back to Israel. This is still going on. All right. So in this story, like people come to me, and they're like, I just can't trust the Lord. Like I see him taking Pharaoh and harden his heart in Egypt. Like you compare this story with this story and you're like, this, these are two contrasting pictures. Like in one, he moves in the heart to restore his name. The other one, he moves in the heart to harden Pharaoh's heart. And some people will say to me, I just can't get past the fact that the Lord would harden somebody's heart. Here's the deal. He's the Lord and he does what he sees fit for his glory and his name and his renown. It's the same thing in Proverbs when you read this 21.1. In the Lord's hands, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels towards all who please him because he owns them all. Yeah? It's no different today. Like your world is not different than it is today. 
Like you choose every day whether you believe the Lord has called you into something great or whether you're going to live this mediocre life. And he's calling you to something more. So here's what happens. In this story of Ezra, they have this new power about them. They're like, the Lord is who he says he is. Like who's going to stop this return? Like he just moved in the heart of the greatest one of the greatest military moments in history, he moved in the heart to send us all back home. Not only that, but they're giving us their silver and gold to get us to go do it. And so you're like, Chris, like, what do I do here? Like, what do I do with this? And the first thing that I would say is like, remember it. Like, remember it. Like, you are not different than these people if you have called him, him Lord. Like, he still fights for you. And so you remember this. You quit walking in a way of darkness. You let that stuff pass you by. In this story, I'm just going to read the rest of it. Like, you may not want to hear what happens in the rest of Ezra. But I think it's important for you to hear the next few things that they do. So if you want to move into the last half of chapter 1, it talks about all the stuff that they pulled out of the the things that they had stolen from them. And they gave them back and said, take them back with you. Moving to chapter 2, tells you all the people who get, get exiled moving back home, like when they hear the story of what God had done. And then you move into chapter 3 when they actually get there. And so here's, here's where I'm going to push on you, all right? Do you want to know what they did? Do you think it's important to know what they did here? Do you think it has any kind of play on our lives now? So let's talk about what they did. I'm going to have to move a little fast because I'm, 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 always, I'm always taking too long up here. I'm sorry. <laughs> But in chapter 3, it says, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns. I feel like praising the Lord, don't you? Amen. Come on. So it says, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Jozak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, and his associates began to build the altar of God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Verse 3, despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundations and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and even sacrifices. All right, so let's just pause in this one. Number three, despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both morning and evening sacrifices. Now, think clearly. You're moving home. You're afraid of all the people that are around you. What's the first thing you do? You try to protect yourself. And so you build a wall, right? But it says that they didn't build a wall. It says the first thing that they did was they repaired the altar on its foundation. All right? Now, here's what I want to say about this. The foundation was already there. It says they built it on top of it. And so there's some of you in this room who have this foundation on you already. Like this is that Jesus is Lord of your life. Like you have this foundation. And what the Lord says to you is to build the altar on it so that your sin can go there and die. That's what the altar was built for. It's so that you would sacrifice your sin on it and walk before him upright and blameless. Like you would walk away from dating somebody who's an unbeliever. You would walk away from being scared to get baptized. You would walk away from fighting constantly with your spouse. You would walk away from everything that's holding you captive. You would walk away from the royals owning you. You would walk away from the chiefs owning you. And you would turn your way and you would start your exile towards the living God. This is the foundation that's been built. He's saying build your altar on top of it and start pursuing holiness right? Holiness is not this picture of perfection. It's this undivided heart. 
That's what it means to us in this, in this terminology. It is a heart that is not divided. Like you don't love this and love that and love this and love that. You have one loyalty. Like the royals go through the filter of Jesus is Lord. The chiefs go through the filter that Jesus is Lord. Your life, your job, your work goes through the filter that Jesus is Lord. Like everything funnels through that filter and you bring your altar and you kill the things that are not of it. Yeah? Step two, some of you do not have this foundation. Like it's not in you. Like you're like, Chris, I don't even know. And here's what the Lord would say to you. Come know him. Come know him. It's not some crazy prayer like you just say, Lord, I'm yours. And you turn and you walk towards him. And you start to build on that foundation. And you know what? You find somebody with a brown lanyard and you tell them. Because it's really hard to build. It's really hard to build on top of this sometimes. When everybody else thinks you're silly, stupid, like you believe something that's ignorant. It's not ignorant. It comes straight from the throne of heaven because he is the Lord. So the first thing I would say to you, man, is like you, you confess your sin. You keep a short leash between you and your Savior. Short leash. Constantly asking yourself, man, what is it in me that needs to go? What is it? You want to hear what they did secondly? Chapter verse 7, it says, Then they gave money to the masons and the carpenters, and they gave food and drink and olive oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre, so that they would bring cedar logs by the sea from Lebanon to Joppa, as authorized by Cyrus, king of Persia. You know what played out here? Like, there's a whole backstory going on here. You can read about it in Haggai. They, they ran into trouble building the temple, and so they started building their own places. And the Lord's like, listen, I'm not going to bless you. I'm not going to bless you when all of your money is being poured into your house and none of it's being poured into mine. Like the church was built to be a, a system of transformation. Like that's what it does. And any church that's not doing that, I would say not, don't be a part of it. Like the church is meant to be the only light in the broken world. And it doesn't look like it looks like sometimes in the West. What it looks like is people who are rising up knowing who they are called to be and not being afraid of the people around them. So, like, let me give you, like, a clear picture of how this plays out. So, some friends of ours, like, we went to Arbor Square, and we started ministering there. Like, we started feeding people. We started hanging out with people. And, and because of that, we were able to baptize some people there. All right? Now, every one of those meals is funded or was funded by New City Church. We call that being part of the frontier. Like, the home base ministers to the frontier. Like, the home base always supports the frontier. Now, in that, last week or the week before that, you watched Kathy get baptized. She's from Arbor Square. She would come up to us, and she's like, I need y'all to keep coming here because you have this great energy around you. We're like, it's not an energy. His name is Jesus, and he lives inside of me, and that's what you smell. And so eventually, one of the girls part of the discipling group would lead her to know to Jesus. She would give her the right language, the right scripture, and she would come to know Christ. And you would get to watch her get baptized right here, right? On Thursday, she bought her first Bible ever. Here's the thing. When you give to New City Church, you're part of her kingdom story. You get that? And if you don't, you're not. Plain and simple. When you, when you give to New City Church, like there's a guy named Kurt over there, and he's, he's always fighting for a war in his mind. And two, three weeks ago, he said, you know, for the first time, I'm replacing the bull crap in my head for the truth of Scripture. And he goes, and I'm winning. If you're giving to New City Church, you're part of that story. And if you're not, you're not. Like, it's that simple. Man, it's that simple. I, I get so frustrated. This is not to talk about money, but man, I think the Lord looks down after doing stuff like this and sees that only 3% of his church actually gives to his church. And the Lord's going, do you not know that I am who I say I am? And I will do what I say I do. Like, do you not believe that? Like, he's for you. 
Like as you travel down this story, and I know I'm going long, but I'm, I'm going to keep going. As this story plays out, like what happens is there are, um, there are some people that, that get in there and they go, dude, who are you and what's your name? And who gave you authorization to start building this temple again? Like they tried to intimidate them. And you know what they responded with? The Lord our God put us in charge of this. And by way of Cyrus, he told us to do this. And so we, we're going to do this. Here's what you need to know. Like the world will always come against you. Most of the time, you'll come against yourself. But the promises in this book were not written to them. They were written to you. Like when Jesus says that I will never leave you nor forsake you, he wrote it to you, not to them. When Jesus says, you bring your tithe to the house and I will pour out the floodgates on you, he wrote that to you, not to them. When when Jesus says that you are the light of the world, that you are the salt of the earth, he said that to you, not to them. Like Matt said this really well. It's like, we can't expect the world to live like us, but we can expect us to live like this. Like, it's how it's supposed to work. And you're like, Chris, how do we even start? I would say, here's one way. When you watch them, I can tell you a thousand actually. But like, in the end of chapter three, what I'm coming to, what's coming to my mind is this story here. It's like, it's like they, they built the temple and they actually didn't build it. They just laid the foundation of the, of the floor of it. And, and then they began to sing the song. It's like, how faithful is the Lord to me. Like the Lord will never forsake Israel. The Lord will never forsake Israel and his descendants, right? That's what they began to sing. And then they said the cheering was so loud that you couldn't hear this. The elders of the place were weeping. So they, they looked at the foundation and they just sat down and, and cried. But you couldn't hear them because of the rejoicing of the other people. And you're like, why are they crying? So they looked at the temple and they remembered what Solomon's temple looked like and now they're seeing this one and they're like, why are they crying? And I used to think, well, it's because Solomon's temple wasn't as great as it used to be. And that they got this, they got a shack of, and in fact, that's what they taught me in school. It's like they have a shack now to worship it instead of a, a, a big temple. But here's what I would say. I would say they're like, man, our sin caused this. Like our sin caused this. Like we had this massive temple and because of us, this is what has happened. But because of his great mercy to us, he has brought us back. And so it was like a a two-point kind of grace. It was like, man, look what I've done, but look what he's doing. And so they began to weep. They said that nobody could hear them. And so I'm like, man, what does this look like for us? What does it look like for us? Man, why don't we just do what it says for us to do? Like, the first thing that they did was they worked on their heart. They, like, they, they, they made it a short confession of who Jesus was and who they are in comparison. Like They're like, you are God, I am not. Praise your name for making me who I am and that I even get a chance to know you. Now make me who you've called me to be. Take me from being ordinary and make me extraordinary. Like That's his call on all of our lives. And so I think there's a piece of confession for all of us going, dude, I have settled for baloney. I've settled for baloney. Some of you need to say, man, I'm... I'm, I'm ready to follow Christ with my entire heart because I see what he did to the king. And then the second thing I would say is like, man, like, give to his house. Like, I, I, I hate preaching on topics. I love preaching the word because whatever God wants to say, he just speaks it through his word. And so whether we're in generosity or whether we're not, this message stays the same. Keep a short leash and you give to his house. And then you praise his glorious name for what he's going to do despite of you.
Yeah? In spite of us. That's why Paul said, no greater sinner in the house than me. I'll reiterate those words. No greater sinner in the house than me. It's not what's happening. It's what God's going to do with me. Still. Like nobody steals that hope. No one. Man, I could preach a thousand longer hours. And so, here's what I'm going to do, man. I'm, in honor of the workers and kids sitting, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a time to sit with the Lord this morning, right? Like, worship Him, sit with Him, like, but confess, man. Like, just say, dude, here's who I am. Here's who I could be. I'm going to do it, Lord. I'm, I'm going to start walking towards you. I don't understand all the things in your word, but I know there's commentary. I can read it, and I can start learning who you are. Because the more you know about him, the more great you become. Because the less you become in your life, the more power Jesus has to do to something in your life. And he becomes not your friend and not just your Savior, but he becomes your Lord. And in that, you get everything else. So let you sit with him. I think I'm, I think I'm done. All right? Let you sit with him, man. Encourage is going to lead us in some worship, man. Stand, worship him, kneel before him, sit in your chair. Then we're going to take up the offering. Here's the deal. Here's what I want to say on the offering because of what's happening. Like on Chicken Drop, we're going to take up a big offering for the church. Like we're going to take up your first fruits offering is what some people want to call it. Is you're like, dude, here's the deal. I'm giving this to build the house. Like I'm building this to build a reformation place in this area. Like I'm building this place because I'm going to be a part of every transformation life in this area. Like that's what I'm going to do. Or you can hold it all to yourself and the Lord will frustrate your plans because that's what he says he does. And you need to believe it. Or you can say, Chris, I don't buy into this. And that's your moment to work through. So, Jesus, I hope I did you good. Praise your name for allowing me to teach your word. God, when I, when I learned what you did with Cyrus, Lord, you know all I want to do is just worship your name. Wednesday afternoon at 1130 in the morning, I'm ready to praise your name in that place. God, thank you for doing what you do. Lord, call these men and women into your house. Like, Lord, you do what you do. Your service is done. And everyone in this house said,